Hello, hello. Welcome to our Job the Stamp podcast. Let's welcome Christopher Andin, who's the Robert A. Neslund Endowed Chair in Curriculum Theory and Professor of Education at the University of Southern California, the creator of the hashtag hip hop as social media movement and science genius battles, the founder of Rap Genius and author of the New York Times bestseller for white folks who teach in the hood and the rest of y'all too. His work has been featured in The Atlantic, The Wall Street Journal, and The Washington Post. Beyond being 2015 Multicultural Educator of the Year, Minorities and Energy Ambassador for the U.S. Department of Energy, he also holds various degrees, a PhD in Urban Education, Master's in Natural Sciences and Education, and Bachelor Degrees in Physical Anthropology, Biology, and Chemistry. Talk about a modern-age Renaissance man! And his most recent book, STEM, STEAM, Make Dream, which we're going to talk about today among many, explores how STEM can transform young people's lives. I'm super pumped to have Chris on the podcast. And with no further ado, hello, Chris. Welcome on the pod. Hey, Blanca. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to engage in a conversation with you today. I love what you do with the pod. I love the theme behind it. I love the mission of it. And so I am humbled to be your guest. I'm so glad and honored to hear that. I'm super excited and I know that your life story is so amazing and inspiring. I just finished reading your book and it gave me a dose of inspiration. So it's been such a pleasure to read it at first hand. Thank you so much. I, you know, I poured my heart and soul into it and I've written a bunch of books so far, but this new book, STEM Steam Make Dream, is what I'm really excited about because it, it allows me to be able to pull all my identities together. Um, I think of myself as a scientist, an artist, and a creative, an educator, uh, you know, a, a social critic. And this body of work allows me to bring all my interests together to le- really help us reimagine STEM. So I, I'm glad it resonated with you and I'm glad to talk to you today. Absolutely. It's a beautiful combination of who you are and what you're trying to transmit to the world through your mission and vision. And a common theme on the podcast is that we like to go back to the beginnings, to the initials. And I'm just curious to ask you, what spurred you to investigate and communicate the wonders of our world? You know, science has always been a thing that's been connected to my identity because I was always a curious child. So I was that child who always asked my mom, why? Why is the sky blue? Why did the light bulb come on that way? You know, so I've I've always been a curious child. And one thing that that my parents did for me that that I want more parents to do with their children and I want teachers to do with students is to never shut down the whys and then have the young folks explore on their own. And so my parents let me interrogate. You know, I would I got to take apart my television and my radio when I was a child. Once I asked questions about why it worked. Um, I got a chance to say, you, know, you want to know how it grows? So I'll go out there and plant something. And so um, from, from early on, I've always asked why. And I had a home environment that allowed me to explore my whys. And that happened when I was a child and carried on throughout my adulthood and through my professional career as well. And so my, my science identity began from being a curious child. And then it got fostered through educators that I encountered who told me, that I could be curious and that understanding science or STEM is really about the questions you ask and not about the answers you that you come to. Um, the, the goal of this enterprise is to keep asking questions and knowing the questions never end. And who doesn't want that as a career? To know that all you have to do is be curious and innovative and creative 
and the world opens up. And so that's how I got to be who I am today. I can really feel that you are wholeheartedly passionate about not just absorbing knowledge, but also communicating and transmitting knowledge. And you've mentioned that you've had very important people in your life who guided you towards uh, this profession and this mission. Did you have a teacher in particular who you really admired and look up to, who was really integral in, in your growth? Yes, yeah, so, you know, I had a seventh grade teacher, uh, Miss Geraldine Fleming, um, who was a, was a, you know, what I loved about her was just that she, like, she made me know that she cared about me. This had nothing to do with science, had nothing to do with STEM, that had nothing to do with mathematics. It just had to do with love. Um, when I walked into that classroom, you know, she would look me in the eye and she would tell me I was smart. And she would tell me that she was happy I was there today. It's like, Chris, I'm so happy that you're here today. You know, learning can happen now. And I think that that was an integral educator just because she knew that good teaching begins with the expression of radical love. Then the other educator that helped me find my way as a scientist um, was, was Professor Liesl Jones in my undergrad. And she was a teacher who, who invited me to do some research in her lab. She studied the etiology of schizophrenia. schizophrenia and she just said, you know, you can come to my lab and, and work. And I, like I was a kid fresh out of high school, no science, bona fides, no degrees. And she's like, if you, if you want to study, just come study. And, you know, throw on this lab coat if you don't want to get your clothes dirty. And, you know, guess what? You can play music in the background while you're learning. In fact, I write about this in STEM Team Make Dream. Um, you know, you could play music, um, protect your clothes, um, ask me questions, we'll discover together. And the way that she, the ease with which she introduced the world of science uh, reminded me of how my mother fostered my curiosity and creativity. And I ended up doing research in her lab and worked with other professors around research in their labs and discovered my love for science. So two educators, uh, Geraldine Fleming in the seventh grade, who anchored her instruction in love. And um, Dr. Liesl Jones in my undergraduate program at the City University of New York, who really fostered that all you need is curiosity and you can do science. It's just so inspiring that you've had so inspirational people in your life who not only presented you raw materials and raw data, but they connected to your heart. And that's one of the most important aspects of an educator. And it's just very great to hear that you've had such positive figures. There was a part in uh, telling your story that you talked about music and somehow you were not sure about science. And I'm curious, when did the connection happen between, you know, bringing together music and science, like being retrodemic and creating the hip hop generation? Was there a specific moment or is it a gradual affection, you know, towards um, this company? You know, I, I, I always loved science and I've always loved hip hop. I've always loved science because science allowed me to really delve deeply into the questions about the universe that I was curious about. I've always loved hip hop because hip hop gave me the mechanism to tell the stories about the things that I was curious about. But in my world growing up, I always thought they were separate. They, in, in, my, in my soul, they've always been together. But in my world, they were always presented as separate. And I think that as I grew up, I started discovering that they actually were more connected than I ever thought. And, and, and you know, that I stumbled into by accident because, you know, I, I, I'm a rapper, like I, I love hip hop. And I remember when I would go perform at rap, at rap shows or I'd be in a hip hop battle or, you know, I'd be in, you know, these like underground clubs performing. I always got the best responses from the crowd when I was able to incorporate something about 
uh, a, a scientific discovery or something about something intellectual that I wrote. Like, I feel like the rap audience loves truth and they love somebody who can elevate their consciousness. You know, so when I'm like, you know, you my, my life, my life like rap is classic um, in my code, like deoxyribonucleic acid. They're like, whoa, like because I said deoxyribonucleic acid, they're like, what does that mean? Or oh, it's DNA or oh, let's study more. And so I feel like audiences are thirsty for more information and more information comes through the discovery of science. And so I stumbled into merging these worlds together. And then what I've done in my life is I've tried to create more opportunities for other young people to not have to wait till they're 20 something to connect those things. And so I do programs in public schools where we do rap and science battles and we charge kids to write science raps and we have them compete with each other and we introduce them to hip hop artists and also scientists because I feel like I got lucky to discover that those worlds came together. But I don't want young folks to have to be lucky. I want that to be their norm. Dropping the stem right here, and I guess you've been dropping the mic and dropping the stem all the way throughout your career in this way. And I just love how you use rap as such a powerful tool to communicate the wonders of science in an engaging way. And I guess that's the power of learning when you've got enjoyment and passion and you don't really realize at a conscious level that you're learning because it's fun and engaging. You know, that's my critique of, of science and, and my critique of STEM. You know, I, I, I love that world. Uh, you know, my, my, my favorite people in the universe are, that I sit with and just talk for hours on end, you know, are, are my science friends. However, there's this inability to be able to translate the curiosities that come from science and the beauty of science and the, and the majesty of the universe in a way that, that the, the layperson could engage with. You know, scientists love talking to other scientists. Engineers love talking to other engineers. Mathematicians love other folks who love numbers. I, sometimes those folks all talk to each other, but they don't talk to the public. And if we truly want the world to understand the magic of what we're doing, we've got to find ways to speak their language. And hip-hop becomes one of those languages. It's not the only language, but it is a language that allows us to connect with new audiences. Um, in addition to hip-hop, you know, I just love talking about science, you know, with, with just my friends. Um, you know, I, I love when I meet a person for the first time, I ask them something curious about what, the, you, wow, I love the blue in your sweater. Do you know the, the color combinations that created that blue? What? And then we, so I, I bake them into a conversation about science. I, I sneak the science into the conversation. I think for a very long time, we've been concerned about elevating the stature of STEM and not been concerned about making it inclusive and equitable to all people. And what I try to do in my work and in my life is to be an ambassador, the ambassador for STEM, the interlocutor, uh, the in-between person, to hold the hand of the disciplines and hold the hand of the people and allow us to be able to engage communally in an interrogation of the beauty and the wonders of the universe um, and the majesty and beauty of science. That is such a powerful message because just as you said, when people are trying to elevate themselves to be elitist academics who you know talk about fancy topics, but don't really try to get the message across because that makes them separated and unique and isolated in a way. But it does damage to children because it just reinforces the idea that STEM is hard, it, it's inaccessible, and so forth. And that's why I think 
I'm curious, and you've tackled this in your book too, that thoughts can create our reality. So what do you find are some of the most common limiting beliefs that actually hinder people, hinder kids from exploring the beauty of STEM? You know, that's such a brilliant question. I think we, in society, we start early enough, or, or like too early, telling people who they are, right? So, you know, a parent will say to a child, you know, I'm not a math person. You know, I don't, you know, I'm just not a math person. You know, I never did really well in science in high school. And so we, we start projecting onto the next generation who they can be. And in STEM CMAG, I write about this, I said, people become what you name them as, but they also become what you tell them that they can't be. And because there are limitations on their identity based on what you say they can and can't do. Um, and I, I wrote two books in the last year, um, and they both speak to each other a lot. So I wrote this book named Ratchademic, uh, Reimagining Academic Success, and I wrote STEM, STEAM, Make Dream. And in Ratchademic, I really tackle like why young folks don't like science. And it's because we, we separate out what I call the ratchet and the academic. You know, to be ratchet is to be loud, abrasive, expressive, uh, vocal, visual, uh, performative. And I try to think of myself as a ratchet person. Like, you know, I'm really ratchet, I'm passionate. Uh, when I talk, I talk with my hands and I have voice. So I'm ratchet. But, uh, but for a very long time, folks have said, if you're ratchet, you can't be academic. And so to be academic is to be poised and uh, speak in a monotone frame and use references to what you say. And, and so when you tell somebody you're either ratchet or academic, from early, they choose one or the other. And when they choose one or the other, we, we don't let them know that they could be both. And we live in a world in a society where you can be both. I mean, you, you, you talk about you, Blanca. I mean, you're a bio major, a chem major, a podcaster, a graduate student, and a public figure. You're all those things at once. That's what makes you special. And we tell young people early, you can only be one of those things. And, you know, I'm a scientist, and I'm a mathematician, and I'm an educator, and I'm a writer, and I'm a rapper. And we can do all those things at the same time. And I think that we have to get to the point where we start letting young folks know that you don't have to like choose science and be a dweeb or choose science and be a geek. And that's who you'll be for the rest of your life. It's that you can be a geek, smart and a nerd and also cool. You could be ratchet and academic. You could be STEM and you could be creative. And you know, what I try to advocate in the world is how do we get to the point where we focus on interdiscipl interdisciplinarity? Um, hybridized identities, um, loving all of the multiple forms of who we are. Um, because we need, because listen, we need more folks in STEM because there's just not enough people. And a lot of the folks who are successful in STEM disciplines only think a certain way. And we need creative and imaginative people to advance the disciplines forward. And so we must all be ratchetemic, um, title of, of that book. And if we are more ratchetemic, we can give young folks permission to be ratchetemic. And if we give young folks permission to be ratchetemic, then we have a lot more folks who can be themselves and be STEM. Yes, you can really do it all. And I love how you are demystifying STEM and making it more digestible to all the listeners and to all the people who might have limitations about themselves because society or even ourselves, we can put ourselves in boxes by the messages we hear and so many other factors but you show that people are multi-dimensional and if you're passionate about something or many things you can do them all um i actually have been reminded 
um, as you've talked about biology and chemistry, that at my first presentation, when it was a scientific contest, I put uh, a Yoda picture of the master Yoda from Star Wars into my presentation to explore a green it, um, skin condition caused by Pseudomonas aeruginosa to demonstrate what it can do to your skin. And some lady, after her presentation, reached out to me and told me that Blanca, never lose that spirit inside of you. Even though there are some elitist academics in the room, that's your spark, that's your passion. And it just so speaks to my heart as you expanded on it. It's your magic, Blanca. It really is. And, and, and young folks have that magic. And I, I also want to impress upon our listeners that we're not saying that, that STEM is not rigorous. We're not saying that you don't have to be up and studying and, and committed and like all those things can exist as well. Like, and, and what I tell young folks is like, I'm not saying that STEM is easy. I'm just saying that it's dope. Like it's cool as hell. And, and because there are things that you do in your lives that are not easy. I see the way that some young folks dress. It can't be easy to have that kind of color coordination and flair and style, the way that some folks dance, it couldn't be easy. The way that you're able to move and contort your bodies in magical ways, but you spend time working on it because you love it. Well, I want you to love this as well and spend time with this as well, because this, like any other thing, just requires love, dedication, passion, and time. Absolutely. And with perseverance and dedication, you're actually going to be more appreciative of the things you've accomplished because you've not only had the passion for it, but you've dedicated your time and energy to accomplish that goal. And that's just the beauty of it. I love it. It, it, it truly is. And, you know, you know what, what, what STEM's team make dream as a book does, I think, is it not only describes these things that we're talking about, but it also offers particularly educators or parents practical ways to be able to foster this thinking with your children right so like i have like lesson plans that you could do with your children or i have like examples of science heroes that may not be the ones that you find in your textbook or and i give examples of like makers who are creative and innovative and and how it is to dream so because i think one part of this conversation is what you and i know blanca very well like it just takes creativity and and um, an artistic nature and a, a dedication to reimagine these disciplines. But a lot of folks are like, well, how do I get there? And so in Rashademic, I describe what we need to do. And in STEM Steam Make Dream, I show the how. You've mentioned the practical aspect of it. And I'm really interested that how can we, having this passion, having these ideals and vision, on a micro and a macro level, you know, as an individual or a society, dismantle these ideas and really create such an environment that, as you said, fosters, you know, creativity, growth, and inclusivity. Dismantling existent binaries or structures in STEM or in education begins with people within those disciplines being radical enough to present their authentic selves and not hide their truth. You and I are not the only ones who are in STEM who think this way, but there's so many of us who are in STEM who say, well, I've got to be able to present the way that my PI wants me to, or I have to show up to this job interview the way I think my dean wants me to, or I have to present in this way so that my colleagues think I'm smart enough. So there are many of us who understand this, but we are all performing what we think a STEM person looks like. And I think for us, it's got to be a radical departure, like within STEM, a, 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 a group of us to say, not anymore. Let us show you our true and authentic selves. Let's show you our academic selves. So I think that's one part. 
the second part of it, I think, is to recruit, which is why I'm so interested in working with young people. I'm so interested in doing work in high schools and middle schools, and I'm so interested in working with teachers because maybe there is a population right now who they've, they've, they've ascribed to the old way of doing things, and we might not be able to save them. I hope we can. But if we present these disciplines to young people in schools right now and reintroduce them in a more imaginative way, we'll have a next generation who's prepared to dismantle the existing structures. I love it. I love it because people connect with your authentic self. And I guess that's a cheesy way to put it, but your vibe attracts your tribe. So if you put out your authentic self, the people who are going to be your greatest allies are going to connect to your message because you've been real um, or you've been 100% real in this way. And I think it's so important that you've started at a more internal, not a surface level, because we think about what we can put out, the externals and so forth, but you got to the core. And I guess that forms a part of your STEM identity as well, which has also been a central topic in your book. Absolutely. You know, authenticity is currency. Um, it's not money. It's not degrees. It's not even social connections. If you show up into spaces as your authentic self, people will identify that there's something that you have to offer that's different from anybody else. So one, authenticity is currency. Two, if you want to teach or you want to recruit people to your discipline, you must anchor your work in love. And when I say love, you know, it's not like a, um, a superficial thing. I'm talking about a radical love. Like, and love gets expressed through passion, which connects back to authenticity. If you're authentic, you're true and honest. If you love something, you're going to be passionate about it. When you're passionate about it, you're being authentic, and you connect folks to be interested in what you love. And so for me, it's about authenticity. It's about love. Um, it's about passion. And then most importantly, it's about being credentialed. I could say all I wanted to say about STEM and about education. And if I did not have you know, the degrees I hold or the positions I hold, people say, oh, it's just that guy. And so I, I want to really implore to those who are listening who are like, you know, you're in your undergrad program right now, or you're in high school right now, or you're in graduate school right now. And you're like, man, you know what? Forget this. No, don't forget it. Finish. Get the degree. Get the credential. But when you get the degree and the credential, don't lose what drove you to get it to begin with. Um, you know, so many people get so disgruntled that they stop. And even for me, my personal journey, oh my gosh, you know, on, on a course to a triple majoring uh, in undergrad, I wanted to quit a bunch of times. But once I graduated with those degrees, people listened to what I had to say. You know, I did not want to get a doctorate. It's like, you know, I know how to change education. I don't need a doctorate to figure it out. Um, but I pursued that doctorate because I knew that what was in my heart was there but the credential will give me the platform to articulate what I know is right to do. Um, and so in my, in my world and career, I'm not driven by my credentials. You know, I, you know, being an endowed chair or being a tenured professor does not define me, but, it, but it, it certainly gives me the platform to write books and to share words and thoughts and ideas that were in my heart from the beginning. And so don't, don't not pursue it. Pursue it, keep your passion, keep your truth, and if you do that, you open up new possibilities for a new generation. Because at the end of the day, you know, when we live this life, all we're going to leave is our legacy. You know, all folks will remember from you is what did you do in the interest of others? And what did you stand for? What were your principles? And what opportunities did you create for others who are not like you? Um, and I live to create a legacy that said this, this guy, you know, 
he loved STEM so much. He loved young people so much. Um, he loved hip hop so much that he put them all together in this perfect braid and used them to create a rope that the next generation can climb on to elevate their consciousness. Um, and, and that's what I want to do in my work. And all those who read my books or hear this podcast, that's what I want you to be able to do in your work. That is so beautiful. You are not only thinking about the present moment, but what you leave behind, essentially. I think it's connected to, Anita, what you just expanded upon, because I've just learned about a concept that people are actually going to be more courageous in dangerous situations when they think about their children. So what they're going to leave behind, who they are protecting. And in a far out reach kind of sense, you are thinking about others and what you leave behind, what your um, beautiful legacy is going to be. So it's not just an ego-centered way of trying to, you know, go after those credentials or uh, showing up or um, just you know, looking at the tip of the iceberg, but it's what you represented as a person and what kind of gifts you can give to others. And that is also a power of love, a power of community that just keeps your passion alive because it's like a collider, as you said in your book, I remember. So, so brilliantly said. It is indeed a collider, and I just love using the collider as a metaphor. Um, you know, it's like, uh, you know, particles that may come from different places charge to high speeds to crash against each other and create new beginnings and new energies. Uh, that, that's what we all want to be, and it's never about the credential. It's about what you do with the credential once you have it. You know, once you get the credential, do you use it to serve yourself and your pockets, or do you use it to serve humanity? And, and if you think about anybody who's done anything impactful in the world of STEM, whether they're scientists or mathematicians, you know, everybody from the Niels Bohr's to the Neil Bohr to the, you know, these are my heroes, to the, to the Einsteins, to the, to the Darwins and to the, you know, whoever they are, they, 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 they did their work because they were passionate about it and, and to offer something to the world. And so, you know, we should all take our lessons from that part of who they are, not the part that got a degree and got a job. You know, a job is, you know, is temporary. A legacy is forever. Absolutely. And since we've talked about these positive models and um, the power of the collider, how have you experienced the immense power of community, the collective effervescence in shaping a brighter tomorrow during your life? I know you've te taught physics and you've done so many things. Uh, what have you experienced about this concept in your life? I mean, I, you know, I, I love that you mentioned collective effervescence and Blanca. That means the world to me because it means you actually read my books and are using terms that I dropped in my books that collective effervescence, I think it's a term that comes from Emil Durkheim. Um, but, you know, I, so here are a couple of moments where I felt that, right? I taught high school, I taught middle school math and science for a number of years. The best moments when I taught math and science in middle school is when you hear that sound. Anybody who's ever taught knows that sound. It's when a group of young folks who were confused about something all of a sudden, almost in unison, get that spark in their mind and they make this sound that goes, oh. And as a teacher, when you hear that sound, it sounds like angels are singing and the heavens can open because it's the sound of clarity. And it's, a, it's almost like icebergs just shifting and moving in the imagination. And those young folks at that point open to receiving more information. So I get collective effervescence when I hear young folks say that, sing that song. Oh, now I get it. Uh, it's it's, it's life-changing. Um, I taught physics and chemistry on a high school level for a number of years. And I think 
that 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 feeling comes from me when I I know that I've made them want to learn outside of the classroom. You know, in the class, you you do your tricks and you do your ideas and you and you give them the content and you have the rigor. I remember once talking to young folks about uh, weathering and erosion of rocks, and I said, you know, like some rocks in this park that's around your neighborhood. And and I was driving home from my job about two hours after the school day was over, and I saw about four kids at this rock, literally taking samples and taking pictures. And that was another moment where I'm like, whoa, I taught them four hours ago, but four hours later, they're outside talking about science. Like, you know, so that gives me that feeling. Um, I, I, I've worked with a number of science students on an undergrad level and a graduate school level. You know, the first time I see a student uh, write an academic paper, on a research idea that they said, Dr. Emden, do you think that I could possibly study this thing? I'm not sure. And I encourage them and I support them and I give them resources. And then two years later, I read their paper in a journal. You know, and it's like, oh, you know. So I, you know, it, this is why I say to everybody, and I write about this in both Ratchademic and STEM Steam Make Dream, is that our the greatest joy is to teach. And I'm not saying everybody should take a job as a teacher. I'm just saying that everybody needs the opportunity to teach somebody else something. Uh, volunteer in a school, uh, you know, show up for an after-school program, take a year off and just teach because the, the time that you spend in the classroom will give you all the effervescence you need to sustain an entire life. Hmm. I love how your definition of a classroom or a teacher is not limited to these physical phenomenons. So a teacher can be anyone who provides inspiration in your life and who introduces something new to your life. And I love that you are also breaking down the stereotypes of education and what we've thought about in a very traditionalist way for years. And that can it can surpass these dictionary definitions to something more meaningful and something more rich. A teacher is anybody who loves what they know and loves to share it with others. That means you can be in a classroom and that's your main job, or it can mean that you work in a lab and it's a thing that you do with the people that you meet, or it can mean that you're a cab driver and when you're driving your Uber, you engage in critical conversations with the people in the back in the, in the back of your seat. Uh, you know, a teacher is not a job; it's a it's a sensibility, it's an attitude. Um, the best of us do it in the classroom every single day, but all of us can learn how to be better at that. Um, by reimagining STEM, uh, to go towards STEAM, to make and create things and to dream. Yes, you can make a difference in any kind of sphere, absolutely. And one of the most pivotal moments of your book, uh, for which you've also provided practical ideas at the end of your book, which I loved, um, is that you place an emphasis on the fact that learning through doing is multiplicatively more powerful than just mere memorization and absorbing raw facts. So what can or what kind of opportunities can the maker movement represent to the children and to the educators as well? I, you know, in STEM Team Make Dream, there's a whole chapter on just like the maker movement, right? Like the idea of these people who may not necessarily have academic credentials, but say, I'm going to create something. Um, I'm going to go online and YouTube something and create something. I'm going to start a business from scratch. Like, and I think that in traditional education, that's what's missing. I think there was an era where we used to celebrate vocational education. 
like, you know, being able to change a tire, you know, being able to, you know, screw a light bulb. And, you know, these things sound very simplistic and they sound very like rudimentary. But I think we have a, a whole population of young people who just don't know how to do anything. And part of the reason why we don't get anybody doing well in STEM is because the field is about doing. You, you know, you're not a scientist when you memorize what another scientist said. You're a scientist when you're able to either A, replicate that person's experiment, ask new questions and conduct your own work. You, 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 when, when you just memorize, that's not, that doesn't make you an intellect. It, it makes you a copy machine. It does not require intellect to memorize. Um, intellect gets activated when what is memorized gets applied into what you do. And so th that, seeming, that, that, that small concept has been lost in contemporary education. We have young folks who graduate from high schools who have, a, um, you know, a, they've passed physics and chemistry and earth science and biology and uh, they're in advanced placement classes and have never done actual science research in a laboratory. And, you know, they'll get high grades and they get accepted to a college and a university and they go to a lab for the first time and they're like, what do I do with this? That's not, that, their, their credentials are inflated. It's a, it's a chocolate bunny. You, know, you ever get them chocolate bunnies on Easter? It looks really pretty on the outside and you break off the air and it's hollow on the inside. We don't want hollow children. We don't want hollow scientists. We want them to be thick and rich with knowledge and wisdom and gifts and truth. And that requires reimagining what we do in education that incorporates doing, not only doing, Blanca, performing. You're not a scientist when you can do an experiment. You're a scientist when you can conduct an experiment and then describe it to anybody you meet. If you cannot explain what you're doing, then are you really doing it? You know, if you can explain what you're doing, I don't think you're really doing the work. You're simply engaged in an enterprise of, for the sake of your own satisfaction. Genius comes when you're able to articulate what you've interrogated and espouse that to somebody else. And I think that those in the scientific community need to understand that either. Like, yeah, your work is cool, but it only gets cited by the same five people who do the same work. What, what difference does that make if you cannot share that with the public? And, you know, one of the things that I lament and, and that I hope I, I'm able to support is the resuscitation of the field of scientific journalism. And, you know, they, there was an era where, you know, there'll be a news report and then it'd be like, and here's the story from our science journalists to tell us what's new and upcoming in the world of science. And people will tune in. And now it, it, there's no space because there, because there are no science communicators. And if there are no science communicators, that's not a responsibility of the society. That's a responsibility of those of us who, who teach to create a next generation of folks who can communicate these ideas. I think we've all attended a lecture where the professor or the researcher just put on a PowerPoint slide full with text and with really no meaning that captured your mind and that stuck with you. You were just there and listened, but you were a passive participant of the lecture. And that is very saddening because there could be a lot of potential, but if he couldn't transmit the idea, it wasn't worth anything. And you know what's sad? You know what's sad, Blanca, is that somebody can be in that lecture who was curious and out of that experience say, oh, it's not worth it. And, and, that, and, and then we lose the potential to have a brilliant scientific and mathematical mind that gets turned off by that one experience because you chose 
not to spark the light, like not to not to not to douse that flame and made it set the world ablaze. And I think more of us need to look at our responsibility. Like, how are we responsible for dimming the flame that is the genius of another young person by how we present our content? And I think if you think about it that way, you know, we'd be less likely to do those kind of like awful, boring uh, lectures. Yes, absolutely. Not copy machines, but catalysts of change, essentially. That's right. Talk. I agree. Yes. Uh, a part of the podcast that always comes back, and I think it connects to who you are as a person, because you mentioned in the beginning that you like to ask the why questions and the possible scenarios exploring those options, is the if questions department, I like to call. So the first question we're going to hit it up with is that if you were a czar of legal legislation, which I got from a Harvard course I took, and it just stuck for the podcast, what would you change about our society and why? If I were into policy change, I would teach courses in a more interdisciplinary way. I would not at sixth grade or seventh grade or 10th grade say, okay, now you're going to just learn biology. I, it, like, I, I'm really about how do we create, there's a Montessori approach to education. It's a powerful one that has been abandoned and, and rarely gets explored once young folks leave early childhood education. But I think that model can be brought into middle or high school education. Um, so I, I, I would push for more interdisciplinarity. We talk a lot about STEM, but sometimes even for young folks, there's even we say STEM, but they never experience STEM. Because the science class is separate, the tech class is separate, the engineering class is separate, the math class is separate. We group these fields together as though they're naturally connected, but we've never connected them to young folks in classrooms. So more STEM courses, more STEAM courses, more arts and math, more science and engineering, more creativity and making. You know, we, we, we need a more innovative and creative society. And to do that, we must start with what we offer the young folks in classrooms. Um, so that's, that's one legislation. Uh, the other one I would I would do legislation-wise is exposure. I would make it essential that all young people were introduced in word, in text, or online with people who look like them who are successful in STEM. So if you are a black child in Chicago, there are black adults from Chicago who are STEM geniuses. You should know who they are. If you're a white child in Australia, uh, you should know about white Australian scientists. If you're an Aboriginal student who, 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 who you know, who lives far away from the urban city, you need to be. Children become what they see, what they know, and so I would make sure that folks create these mentorship pipelines so young folks can see that there are possibilities by seeing folks who look like them engaging in these professions. Um, as you've expanded on this topic, I've been reminded of the chemical concept that apolar molecules are going to be able to be solved in apolar solvents. And it's the same, like you attract the same kind, you are attracted to the people who are similar to you. And it's such a beautiful concept, this sort of mentorship. And I think both the mentor and the mentee can benefit from that. And I think you can attest to this fact how, I guess, you've been inspired by the kids or the children or the students around you. I, you know, I'm selfish. That's why I mentor. People say, <laughs> what? That doesn't make any sense. But when you are a mentor, you get to offer some wisdom. And then young folks help you to think differently. And they challenge you and they push you and they provoke you. You know, and, you know, I'm, I'm an older, older cat right now. You know, I'm in my 40s. You know, the, the first specks of gray hair are poking through this beard. And, you know, but I'm but I'm young. 
People say, well, Dr. Emmy, you're so youthful. Like, why are you so... And like, I've met I've met people who are my age who are 40, and I'm like, dude, like, you like you act like life is over. Like, I'm just getting started. And the reason why I'm so youthful is because I'm always around young people. They inspire me. I know the slang. I know the music. I know what they're thinking about. And and so they, they teach me how to remain youthful, and I teach them how to love these disciplines and how to and how to not go through the same kind of struggles I went to and how to overcome. And so there's a mutualism in mentorship. Um, and, and, and in STEM Seam Dream, I write about that. Like I write about the ways that, she, that, that educators and adults can forge really authentic relationships with young folks for the sake of making them both be better. That's amazing. I actually would have been able to tell your age. And I think it's just the confirmation of the fact you just shared that these inspirational and so cool kids keep your spirit alive and that translates to your outward appearance absolutely they give you energy they give you passion uh, they give you drive and motivation and then like the drive and motivation is also that like you know when you're mentoring and you know your your, your 20 year old mentees are on the basketball court you're like man let me go out there for a jog and so you stay healthy you know it's like because you're you're, you're keeping up with them in the youthful way and they're trying to keep up with you with all the lessons you have to offer. And I think that there's a certain mutualism in that. And, and that's why I advocate for mentorship for both parties. But I also think that, you know, I have a, I have a number of mentees who've surpassed me in many ways. And that's also a gift. You know, I, I have mentees who, you know, I used to teach them when they were in middle school and they're now medical doctors, you know, or, you know, I used to, tutor them when they were in high school and now they're professors at other institutions. And so in many ways we grow from mentor and mentee to peer. Uh, and, and that's also a really beautiful evolution as well. That is just a beautiful message. It's like seeing your children grow up and being a proud parent and seeing them what they've accomplished. Indeed, indeed. It's a gift. And the next question from the questions department, and I know it's, on the common college application essays, but I think it's a good one, reimagining the scenario. If you could have dinner with anyone, living today or in the past, who would you invite and why? Uh, you know, it's a profound question, and it, it, it's not any heroes or individuals um, in the spirit of vulnerability. If I could have dinner with anyone, uh, one more time, it would be my late sister. Um, that, my sister's name was Monique Anyola Emden. Um, she passed away at 28 years old from colon cancer. She's a really brilliant and passionate soul. And, um, you know, why her memory stays with me is because she, she always saw me as more than I was. Um, you know, people say like, you know, who could do that? My big brother can you know, he's going to be, and she would say all these things that I was going to be. And um, I would want to meet with her one more time to thank her for her faith in who I could be. And so if I had another opportunity to meet with anyone in the universe, it would be my late sister, Monique Ebden. That is so heart touching. And I'm really sorry about your loss. Um, but it's just such a beautiful message as you shared. Um, and I think it's something that we can all take into our hearts and live and actually do love not just think about it as a foreign concept and i think your sister was a testimony of that of seeing your potential when perhaps you couldn't see it in yourself oh thank you blanca that, that means the world to me and 
um you know i think that um I, I think that when we think of who our heroes could be we oftentimes think of folks who are popular and known and if we're really reflective about it our biggest heroes are those who we've actually been in proximity to that we overlook because we live in a world and society of consumerism and popularity as the anchor. And so I would employ everybody who's listening, if somebody asks you who your heroes are, think of those you've met, those you've touched and those who've touched you. And you will find that most heroes are closer to you than you would imagine. Heroes live within us, you know, they, the mothers are heroes and educators are heroes and That's everyday right. people are heroes. So absolutely. Absolutely. And absolutely. Actually, I've just been reminded of a concept and uh, it's been really uh, life changing for me um, in the Bible because I'm a Christian and I'm just so directly connected to this message that when Jesus tells Peter that his name, his new name, which is a significant moment when, you know, somebody gives you a new name, it just gives you a new identity as well, that his new name means uh, stone. And Peter was everything but a stone. He was very inside and out. He was very energetic and he said big things at one moment and then denied the Lord at the other and I think it's so powerful that he saw something inside of him that was not present yet, but it was a prediction mm. for the future. And I think the world would be a better place if we could look at people that way and encourage them on a positive path. Uh, I, you know, I, I want to say this to you, right? I, I think as a scientist, myself and yourself, we've oftentimes been taught that we should hide away our faith as though it's in opposition to our work as scientists. So we didn't talk about this before, but I, I'm a Christian as well, a person of very, very strong faith. In fact, in my work, um, even in Ratchademic, I talk about this concept of a Pentecostal pedagogy uh, as, as an approach to teaching and learning that invokes a sort of like a spiritual awakening. Um, but for a very long time, I felt as though I had to hide my faith in order to be seen as a good scientist. Because science is oftentimes framed as you like, you have to be objective and and, and I, I want to appreciate your vulnerability in sharing that because that's where the truth lies. And that somebody who's listening will say, oh, my gosh, she's a Christian and a biologist and a chemist. Wow, I can too. And this is not saying anything disparaging to folks who have other faiths or folks who choose not to have a faith, right? Um, I, I don't fault folks for their belief. I pray for them <laughs> um, um, that, that they come to some awareness um, but I also want folks to know that you can be a Christian and a scientist and an educator and a podcaster, and you don't have to lose your faith to do this work. And I, I want to thank you for being vulnerable because it's such a powerful point um, to, to, to put forth because somebody who's listening needed to hear that. That means so much to me. And I'm just overjoyed to also talk with a brother in Christ. And that's amazing. And I've actually experienced that in competitions which you've been expanded upon, that if you open up yourself a bit, it, a lot of people reveal to me that they are Christians as well. It was like, whoa, is this true? And it just powered me even more. So I guess that was also a moment of being part of the collider. Yes, and it's vulnerability and it's what we talked about before, authenticity and truth and Sometimes when you let your light shine, you give other folks permission to shine theirs as well. And then when other folks does theirs as well, then collectively we become, and this is scriptural, a, a city on a hill that cannot be hid, right? But that only comes with the boldness and the bravery to reveal your authentic self. 
Yes, hands down, absolutely. I'm loving it. We've touched on this a bit, but I just wanted to give you a platform for uh, for another for this time as well. That if you had a mic in your hands and you could speak to all the young folks out there, what would your message be to the youth of today? To any young person who's listening or who may be listening, um, your past does not define you. Um, who you can be is not constructed by anybody other than you. The only person better than you is embedded in you. You can start today to become a new version of yourself. If you operate in a world with truth and authenticity, the world will open up. Your goal should not be about popularity and who knows you, but rather sitting with your truth and all those things will come. And don't be scared of science and tech or engineering and mathematics. They are simply a language. And anybody can learn anything if they took enough time to know it. So if you learned English or Spanish, you can learn STEM. And if you learn STEM, the world opens up. And that's it. That is beautiful. And when you speak a foreign language, you can actually connect better to the people who speak that language, whereas their mother tongue. So there you go. Absolutely. Absolutely. And now we're going to play a little game, the this or that question game. Are you ready, Chris? All right. I'm ready. All right. The first one is, do you karaoke or a dance-off? Oh, definitely a dance-off. I mean, I could karaoke with the best of them, but you know I got some moves, so definitely a dance-off. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. <laughs> um, and the next one is, live DJ or a live band? Oof. I would I would have to go with live band. I, I love the beauty of instrumentation. And I love, you know, I'm, I'm a hip-hop head. But give me a good band any day and just to watch the magic and folks who can perform any day of the week, a live band. Do you have a favorite band? I've got a number of bands. I love The Roots because they are hip-hop as well as really powerful and great instrumentalists. So um, that, like, that's one of my favorite bands. I love um, just like uh, Robert Glasper, who's an amazing pianist. And it's just like, a, he just plays a whole bunch of different instruments. Um, I love Terrence Martin, who is, a, he's a jazz guy, but also incorporates that into hip hop. So I'm, I'm, I'm more of a fusion kind of guy. Um, I love Afro beats. I love Afro beat. My, one of my favorite artists of all time is Fem, uh, Fela Kuti. Um, anything he does to me is just magic. So I, I love folks who like merge. As you can tell, I, I sit at the intersections. So I love artistry and music that are at the intersection of uh, established um, genres. Yes, I was just about to tell you that you are even interdisciplinary when it comes to your musical taste. It is. It's not just a academic or intellectual framework. I, like that's my my lifestyle, even in my style. Like um, you know, people like well, Doctor, like you know. I love I love tweed blazers with elbow patches, like those old school professors. And I also love, you know, I'm a New York cat, so I wear some Timberland boots. Um, you know, I love designer brand name things sometimes, but I love going to thrift shops and getting like an old wool sweater that's about 65 years old. So, uh, you know, so I like my whole existence is about. Um, existing in the intersections and existing with hybridity. Um, and that's what I, I, I try to be in the world. 
even in your fashion style, you are both casual and dressy. Yeah, I, 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 I love to, I love to mix it all up. I think that, you know, I just don't like copycats. Mm. And I think science has turned into that. You know, everybody, it has to look a certain way. It has to be performed a certain way. It has to be sure. Like, I, like if they say, like, what, what's the one thing that gets on your nerves? I, it's clones. Yeah. You know, I, I hate looking out into the world and like, oh, they're all that type. And they're all that type. Um, I, 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 I love I, you know, variety and, and um, sitting at the intersections is the spice of life. It's the, it's, you know, it's the sauce that makes the world taste well. Um, so I, 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 I'm, I'm definitely a, a hybrid. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. And yeah, it really is true because the way you dress reflects a part of who you are. So that's like a, I don't know, a name card as textile in, in a way. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know what? I, I, it, and I think people think it's superficial. Um, and I think it's, and it's definitely not, you know, I, I, I am very big on attire and style and dress and be like, like, why does he care so much about those things? Because they matter. Um, you know, I, I could communicate something to someone by what I put on. Uh, you know, the tilt of my cap makes a big difference. Uh, you know, and, and I and and so I, I always tell my students that too. You know, not dress like anybody else, but dress like you matter. You know, put something on your body that says to you when you look in the mirror that I have value. And that changes the way that you approach yourself and engage with other people for the rest of the day. Absolutely. When you respect yourself, people are going to be more likely to respect you. So it's reciprocal. Yeah, indeed, Blanca. You, you, you get me, you get me, sister. <laughs> <laughs> the next question is, go forward in time or go back in time? Oof, man. Um, I would say go forward, and that's a hard one for me. But I would go forward, uh, and I would want to go forward in time so I could be, um, so I could be a fly on the wall and watch what my mentees and uh, and my students and my children become and what they do in the world. Okay, I really like this answer. I know I was coming in with a hard one, but uh... yeah, that was a tough one. That was a tough one. Yeah. <laughs> and the last one is dog person or cat person. Ooh, I'm a dog person. I actually own, I actually have two dogs. Um, and I grew up with a dog. I have two dogs now, so I'm definitely a dog person. That's amazing. They make amazing companions. They certainly do. So there are two dogs. They're brother and sister. Uh, one is named Kobe after my favorite basketball player, and the other one is Bailey after my favorite drink. Be <laughs> <laughs> a representation of your life, too. That's cool. Indeed. Indeed. And the closing question we're going to encapsulate all the things I've been talking about is the following. What does STEM or slash theme mean to you? Um, I think STEAM is a language of the future. It is a pathway to curiosity and innovation. It is the mechanism to unlock the genius of our children. And it is something that should be accessible to everybody because it's so beautiful and so magical that everyone should partake in it. Um, and, and that's why I wrote STEM, STEAM, Make Dream. And I hope folks pick up that book 
And this idea about intersectionality is why I wrote Ratchetemic, Reimagining Academic Success. And I hope folks pick up that book as well. Um, because if you understand the beauty of STEM, of STEAM, of magic, of intersections, I think your world will be better and the world of those you touch will be better as well. That is just amazing. And what a beautiful way to end this podcast. And I just want to commend you because you're such a beacon of light, uh, an inspirational force, a, a positive figure. And as I was talking to you, I felt inspired. And I believe that the listeners will have this pressure on their souls, on their hearts to go out in the world, to do something and to become who they authentically are. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your bits of wisdom. It was an absolute pleasure. If folks want to reach out to me to continue the conversation, I'm on Twitter and Instagram. My handle is at Chris Emden. So that's C-H-R-I-S-E-M-D-I-N. Um, thank you, Blanca, for creating space for me to have a conversation with you today. It, 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 was a, it was a highlight for me. So I appreciate you. And not only to listen to this episode, but to listen to all your other episodes coming up as well. Um, thank you. Thank you for the plug, and it was an absolute pleasure. Follow the pod on Instagram and Facebook as well. As always, thank you for taking a few moments of science with us, and stay tuned for the next episode.